Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clank. And I am Troy Harkin. And this is our first part of a duology of episodes looking at Superman. Our first episode will look at the comics and TV and and more. And our second episode will just look at the movies. Troy, you've been looking forward to us covering Superman for quite a while. Yeah, I have. And I mean, I knew that, you know, once we did the Batman uh, three-parter that we would definitely need to uh, get into Superman at some point. But uh, I tell you, as as I've been going back through some of the things that we'll be covering, and like in today's show, we'll be doing comics, graphic novels, the TV stuff. Um, and I started to actually reread some of the things and whatnot. Man, my love for this character totally came back and it was like all of the eras like I, I forgot how much i love sort of all of the eras of superman and you know he's he is so uh, omnipresent omnipresent and, that's yeah it. that's it the character is so omnipresent that sometimes you take him for granted you know um and uh so this sort of let me take stock of of Superman and, and, and really, uh, yeah, uh, sort of explore my love for the character. Now, were you one of those kids, David, like I was that as you would throw like a red car, not a red carpet, throw a red <laughs> towel around your neck as a kid and sort of run <laughs> around your backyard or neighborhood, pretending you were Superman, pretending you were um, flying. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that we did. Plus I also had various Superman toys and you know how merchandising works. And um, also I was a a bit of a comic book collector and beyond things like um, Blade and Count Dracula and all these other, like there, there was a lot of comics I collected, but there was certainly some Superman ones and, and Man of Steel, and I did collect two copies in basically mint condition and put them in in those cellophane in those collector things that are acid yeah. free that have a boarding yeah. bag. bags and boards. Yeah, yeah. For the when um, they were brought when Superman was redone, um, like starting with issue one with a new artist um, with Stanley, I think it was Kirby. Um, they started Superman from like number one again with some. With, oh, are you thinking um, like Man of Steel that when they did Man yeah. of Steel with John Byrne? Yeah, 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 yeah. John Byrne. That was it. it. Was John Byrne? Excuse me. Yeah. Um. So I kept those. I have no idea how much they're worth. I just gave them to my brother, but I certainly yeah. like collecting those things. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait to talk more about that when we when we hit the uh, the comic section of our show. Also, like I watched on the Commander Tom show. That was my big thing. My my actual uh, real exposure to Superman, the George Reeves TV show, um, The Adventures of Superman. Um, I don't think I saw it prior to Commander Tom. I might be wrong because it was kind of in syndication forever. How about you? Was that one of those? Uh, like, did you watch on Commander Tom, or had you seen it somewhere else before then? No, I, I think it would have been Commander Tom because I was one of those guys uh, among many, <clears throat> and I guess some gals too. Like, there's a lot of people that you know back in the '70s watched the Commander Tom show, and I'm sure that's how I was introduced to um the george reeves uh superman yeah and when you get a phenomenon like like uh superman you uh inevitably get all kinds of weird merchandise and and obviously there's toys uh and other peripheral things but one of the weirdest things i can remember is there was uh superhero crazy foam in the 70s and i really wanted the superman and batman crazy foam so crazy foam for those who don't know or weren't alive in the 70s where they could sell any kind of shit to kids uh basically it was a can of shaving cream that shot uh the soap out of Superman's mouth because he was drawn onto the canister of basically shaving cream. And so the stuff would shoot out of Superman's mouth and it was like Linda Blair and the exorcist. Like it would just like shoot out at you, which I think it would have been really awesome if they had made an exorcist version of this, right. And made it, made the foam green. But anyway, did you ever have any of the, uh, the super man crazy foam or, or were you beyond that? Cause you're like a year or so older than I am. I might have. Um, it's something that I can't, re- I mean, we had all that, that weird, that stuff that you sprayed, that stuff that looked like cobwebs or looked like oh yeah um, that stuff but i'm not sure if we had that crazy phone and, and how safe would that be like that probably wouldn't even pass mustard nowadays <laughs> no i don't think so probably not um and you know again when you're when you're uh, a character like superman that has been around for so long you you have like multiples of everything and so like we have a few things here like nicknames superman has so many nicknames right he has man of steel man of tomorrow big blue the last son of krypton smallville at least lois on smallville used to call clark smallville and uh Batman, I know, would call him the Boy Scout, and others derisively would kind of call Superman uh, the Boy Scout. And he had a lot of pets, too, didn't he? Yeah, I think he certainly was big into pets. I don't know if that was tied into the fact that they're trying to get Superman, you know, kids interested in it. Because then the parents would buy the kids whatever toys are out there for the merchandise. Right. But you're right. There was, a, I think you have, you know, uh, Crypto. Um, crypto was known as Superdog, I guess. Yeah. And do you remember Comet, the super horse? Well, I didn't remember his name. I have to tell you that. I did not remember his name. I did not remember the monkey's name. I don't know if you remember the monkey's name. Or the um, super monkey. Uh, Beppo. I think. Beppo! Yeah. Beppo, Beppo. So, so Beppo, it sounds like he escaped, <laughs> he escaped from like an organ grinder or something. <laughs> Superman. Oh, my Lord. Give, give Luigi his super monkey back. Um, Beppo. <laughs> yeah. And Streaky the super cat. That I do remember. 
Um, and for some reason, I don't know if like Streaky was always Supergirl's cat or if he was Superman's, but I, for some reason, I associate Streaky, the super cat, with Supergirl. And um, God, the guy was in so many comics. Um, here's just a few that, 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 that I have. So there was Action Comics, Superman, of course, his, his namesake comic, World's Finest, Adventure Comics, Legion of Superheroes, Superman Family, which was one of my favorites. I'll tell you a little bit more in a, about that in a bit. Uh, eventually, uh, the Justice League of America, Superman slash Batman, Superman the Man of Steel, and Superman Adventures. And if that wasn't enough... He has also been on the cover of Time and Mad Magazine. Now, I don't think the list is a long one of people, uh, real or fictional, that have been on the cover of both Time and Mad Magazine. Um, it's probably a very short list, but Soups did it. Uh, yeah, it might be. It might be a list of one, possibly. I mean, it's possible that Batman. Um, may have made a time cover, yeah, and certainly you would think that Batman would have been parodied, parodied in Mad Magazine. There had to have been a parody of of uh, Batman in Mad Magazine. Yeah, I know. I know Adam West as Batman was on the cover of Life. I can visualize that one, but I'm not sure about Time. And the guy also had an incredible list of villains. Um, let's just, uh, read out for folks, just some of, uh, Superman's villains. And then you, you and I can talk about our, uh, our, maybe our top five of, of, uh, these, uh, heinous characters. Um, Troy, um, yes. Troy, just, just quickly before we get too far into this, I don't want us to, to just, um, hmm. um, gloss over the fact that this is the first episode of season five for us. We've oh. actually completed four episodes, four seasons, excuse me. And that's something worth noting. In fact, that it is. In we're fact, starting... you... Go let ahead. me just do this for you, Dave, just to celebrate the beginning of season five. There you go. Little celebration. Yeah. And what better character to start off a whole season than Superman? Because he's the granddaddy of them all. Um, so just for our, our, this is one of the things we always mention is that uh, yeah. this is this is hold number fifty-seven. Uh, we're scheduling it for broadcast on Saturday, October sixth. We do not have a special guest for this episode. Now, maybe we've already given away too much, but Troy, I was wondering if you want to press that spoiler alert button for us. I do, and I will do that, David. And uh, in honor of Superman, let's hit the super spoiler alert button holy moly to paraphrase a friend of of superman's <laughs> gadzooks gadzooks um, great caesar's ghost Yep. Yeah, yeah, that um, was a wonder, wonderful, a lot of sayings in the whole show. But thanks, Troy. And we are recording this uh, session via Zoom. And why don't we get back to, because you were mentioning about just the number of, like, you know you're doing something if you've got a whole long list, longer than your arm, of supervillains. That's right. That's right. So um, 
I'm going to uh, read out just uh, some of the ones that we came up with, and then you and I can chat about our uh, our top five favorite villains. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, actually let me let me start with the toughest one, uh, Mister Mixelplick, which is spelled M X Y T P L X. Um, we'll break down who, who these guys are a little later. Bizarro, Zod, Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Darkseid, um, Composite Superman, who I almost forgot until uh, we were about to record, Despero, Solomon Grundy, The Parasite, Metallo, Livewire, Doomsday, and Ultra... Oh, there's even more. Ultra Humanite, Calabac, Lobo, Mongol, and... I, I've added Superman himself because when he's exposed to red kryptonite or when someone controls his mind, he is a bad dude. Um, and he did have his mind controlled by Max Lord in Countdown to Infinite Crisis and um, I'm sure more than once. Um, but uh, so so David, uh, who are your top five of of the baddies? Yeah, so when we talked about doing this as part of the segment of this show we just you know lex luther and general zod were like one and two or certainly would be in anyone's top five so what we figured is we just pick five outside of lex luther and general zod so what i had uh, of my five without getting into too much uh, detail and so on is brainiac bizarro uh mr mixel plick uh, who is about yep. as odd a character as you can get? Solomon Grundy, and, oh, and part nice. of that is part of that is a crash test dummies <laughs> song. Like everyone remembers that song, "Superman Never Made Any Money." Yeah, saving, saving the, the world, world from from Solomon, Solomon Grundy. Grundy. Yeah, that's right. Great, great line. I think that was called the Superman song, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And and Doomsday. So those are. I don't know if you have some that you you agree, or if you've got some different ones, Troy, for your top five well, villains. So who is your? Did you have a number one? By the way, I didn't have a number one, even though I did like the concept and just someone like Brainiac mm-hmm. um, is one of those because. From what I remember, he had – he's basically almost like an exposed brain. Like he can just defeat you just from intelligence or being able to take over your 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 body or be able to do mind control and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's always like how do you – like that was part of this whole thing is how do you throw villains – against someone who is nearly invincible other than maybe kryptonite and you have to figure out ways of being able to do that so what kind of characters do you it's almost like doctor who where you have to keep coming up with different monsters or different creatures that have different abilities and you have to find different ways of being able to handle them that's right and you know brainiac always scared me like no matter what age i was um there was something intimidating about um about Brainiac. Now, I loved your inclusion of Solomon Grundy um, because I just love the fact that basically he's this big zombie character um, born out of the uh, the swamps of Louisiana, I think. Um, okay, so first of all, okay, I think I cheated in two different ways. 
first of all, my first cheat is that I had a, a tie for fifth place. I had uh, Mr. Uh, Mixelplex as tied for number five. I mean, the guy is in so many stories. His first appearance was Superman number 30 in 1940. He was tied for me with Bizarro. Now, Bizarro was actually my favorite, but uh, he's not that intimidating. In fact, he's sort of a um, a sympathetic character. He's you know he's very much sort of like a, uh, a really dumb Frankenstein, um, and he's generally you know not um, malicious. He's generally trying to do things, but because he's sort of the opposite of Superman, it backfires and things always go wrong. Mm. Um, but still, I just love that character, Bizarro. Like, uh, what a great addition to the characters of Superman's world. Uh, his first appearance was in Superboy number 68 in 1958. Now, here's where I also, David, I, I screwed up the brief because I had Zod as number four and I had Luther as three. I should have excluded them. Um, and I said that Luther, you know, in his mind, he's number one. He wants to be number one. Uh, he thinks he is, but he's not. Um, he's, um, his first appearance was really early on. It's an action number 23 from 1940. Um, so I had Brainiac as number two. Uh, and Brainiac um, evolved over the years because, first of all, he looks humanoid at first. But as time goes on, um, He's sort of like this giant, almost like floating skull that's, um, uh, I guess, mechanical. Uh, it's a, basically a computer brain um, that's trying to control things. But his first appearance was Action 242 in 1958. My all-time favorite Superman hero, created by Jack Kirby when he left Marvel and came to DC, it's Darkseid. Um, and... I will say it till the day I die. So much of what Jack Kirby created for the new gods is so close to Star Wars, but it was like years before Star Wars, including the villain who's named Darkseid, D-A-R-K-S-E-I-D. Um, and he's a sort of Darth Vader-like character um, who is trying to take over the world. Also Thanos um, in the Marvel world was heavily influenced by Darkseid. Um, you can almost like imagine just taking Thanos and Darth Vader, putting them together and you get dark side. Um, anyway, his first appearance was in Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 134 in 1970. Um, and man, he's a freaky character. He is to be feared. <laughs> don't want to run into dark side in a dark alley. And I guess we don't count the mole men because they weren't really <laughs> villains. They yeah. were, um, they were misunderstood. Let's put it that way. They definitely were. <clears throat> and don't go shooting at the the mole men like the the ne'er do wells did out in that oil mine. Yes. We we'll we'll get <laughs> we'll get to them, I guess, in our second <clears throat> show when we when we do get to that. Uh, Dave, would you like to join me, if you will, as we hearken back through a brief history of Superman? Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to ask you before I forget, because I'm just going to forget this. <clears throat> you had suggested uh, me watching, I watched it twice, the Up, Up and Away, which was somewhere around 2005, 2006. There's a documentary about an hour and 15 minutes long you can find on YouTube. And it's a very 
handy thing, but they keep mentioning about how the two creators of Superman were Cleveland-born. They never mention any Canadian connection at all to uh, one of the creators. And that, that sort of bothered me. It's sort of like Ken Taylor not being mentioned in the Argo film, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It just rankles, rankles me as a Canadian. Sure. But anyways, why don't you get started with it? And then... Um, uh, because I think it's important the fact that that part of it is a Canadian creation. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right, here we go. Created by Canadian-born artist Joe Schuster, there you go, and Cleveland-born writer Jerry Siegel, the two friends created the most iconic fictional character of the 20th century. The earliest version of their character dates back to 1933. The two submitted it for publication repeatedly over the next five years, only to meet rejection each time. But they continued to refine the story as well as the look of their namesake character. Joe Schuster would base the design of Superman's costume on circus strongmen and wrestlers who wore tights and trunks. Many comic book swashbucklers wore capes. And the iconic S crest represented a shield from heraldry. The two young men decided to give their hero a dual identity. While they based Superman on the action film star Douglas Fairbanks Sr., His alter ego of Clark Kent was fashioned after silent comedy star Harold Lloyd. As for Superman's actual backstory, it's summed up pretty concisely in what I call the Superman Creed, heard here in the opening of the Adventures of Superman television series. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth justice and the American way. As far as his super strength, one of the early Superman comics sums it up like this. Superman came to Earth from the planet Krypton, whose inhabitants had evolved after millions of years to physical perfection. The smaller size of our planet, with its slighter gravity pull, assists Superman's tremendous muscles in the performance of feats of strength. Apparently, the whole yellow sun, red sun explanation would come later. While Siegel and Schuster continued to work on their character, the two young men found success with Detective Comics in 1937 when they were commissioned to develop a hard knocks private eye character, Slam Bradley. The success of that character and Detective Comics led to the birth of Action Comics number one. Siegel and Schuster were invited to dust off their Superman character, for that comic. Issue number one hit the stands in the spring of 1938. The character of Superman has been in non-stop publication ever since. 
The Superman comic strip ran from January 16th, 1939 until 1966, appearing in 230 North American newspapers during its nearly 30-year run. From the very beginning, Superman was a pop culture success. On top of appearing in print through the comics and newspapers, Superman was also a film and radio star. 2,088 episodes of The Adventures of Superman aired on American radio between 1940 and 1951. It was on the radio plays where the concept of kryptonite was first brought up. Now, between 1941 and 1943, a series of animated shorts were produced by Max Fleischer. As these cartoons were the first motion picture portrayals of Superman, they proved hugely influential. The first live-action Superman adaptations were created as serials in 1948 and 1950. They starred Kirk Allen in the starring role and Noel Neal as Lois Lane, who would later return to the role on television. Though the film serials used live actors, the scenes of Superman flying still required an animated hero. In time, Superman would become a superstar on television and in blockbuster films. George Reeves and Christopher Reeve would define Superman for the children of their respective generations, and we'll examine their contributions as we move on through our Superman two-parter. For every one of his enemies, like Lex Luthor, Zod, and Darkseid, Superman has a hundred friends such as Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, and I guess Batman is somewhere there in the middle. Over the years, the character has survived kryptonite, death itself, and even marriage. It's been said that Superman and Mickey Mouse are two of the most recognizable fictional characters on Earth. And Dave, I think that sort of, you know, gets us off and running. And uh, and we can move on as soon as you like into comics. But do you have anything sort of off the top you want to add? Um, not really. It's just with all of the the different places that Superman has appeared, the character has evolved. And certain things where it started off as he's only able to leap, he became... he. He was able to fly and little things like that, which I'm sure we'll get into more in this episode. But it was a lot of different groups yeah, getting their involvement in that really made the character what it is today that we so know and love. Yeah. And, you know, with both of us going through sort of all of the background in the last little while prepping for this, it really uh, made me cognizant of that evolution because and it's important to to remind yourself of i think when you're dealing with characters like this because um when i saw man of steel there were a few elements in there that sort of bothered me like because i was like well that's not canon that's not the way it goes and then i you know i now realize that you you don't need to think of it like that right it's like mm. everybody gets a, a sort of a crack at the character. Some things do get changed over time. Um, and some things stick and some things don't. Um, like Luther originally wasn't bald. He had red hair. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, uh, a thing that, that stuck. Like for when, when they changed him to being bald, people clearly liked that as, as sort of a visual. Um, but that's just the way it goes. Things do change. And and even when we were, I was mentioning um, 
there was the explanation for how Superman has his powers. We grew up with the idea that uh, he's under a different sun than he was on Krypton and that our sun is what basically fuels his super abilities. Um, but that wasn't the case originally when they came up with an explanation, mm-hmm. but, but the, the story changes, it evolves and, and there you go. Yeah. The other thing that, that everyone has sort of had fun with, and they even pointed it out in the 79, 78 film and the 80 film is this idea that you've got a reporter who is really good. We're talking about Lois Lane, who can really figure stuff out. Yet she can't tell that Superman and Clark Kent aren't the same person. But they have a bit of fun on that. I I know that you appreciate Superman, too. And they have a bit of fun going the whole thing with at Niagara Falls, where she's trying to prove that he is Superman. They and I remember reading one comic, a Superman comic, where they explained that the actual gla- this isn't. I mean, it was in a Superman comic. I don't consider it canon, even though it was in a Superman comic. That the actual glasses had some effect beyond just putting glasses on. You look a bit different. That there was right. something about the glasses that uh-huh. affected people when they saw Clark Kent. They saw him slightly di- like definitely oh, looks like different. Sure. Um, and, and maybe it's almost like uh, the way red kryptonite affects uh, <clears throat> Superman mentally. Maybe there's something within the glasses that, that does that as well. When, you know, people uh, look at him and they somehow their brain <laughs> melts a little bit and they don't go, hey, yeah. you're Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um so as we get into the comics here, it's funny, you mentioned uh, to me earlier this week, the whole thing about like the value of certain comics and how action comics, number one, is sort of the holy grail of comics. So I just, uh, I listed a couple of the, the prices uh, before we get into some of the uh, uh, the history of the comics and also um, our subjective take on it. And I, now that I know too, that you were buying comics, I want to hear about some of your faves but anyway so action comics number one uh lists for over four million dollars in mint condition now the thing is the reason that it lists so highly is um supposedly there are fewer than a hundred in existence because and and most of those are in really poor condition um so finding one and finding one in mint is is a pretty rare thing um Superman number one uh lists for around eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It features the first mention of Krypton and the first time we uh see Martha and Jonathan Kent. Now, Action Comics number twenty-three lists for, for approximately a hundred and two thousand dollars in mint condition. And that has the first appearance of Lex Luthor, and I suppose that is would be the red-headed Lex Luthor. Um, and I, I, I wanted to warn folks too. you have to be careful. It's like betting. Uh, once you get into collecting, um, and the nineties and the 1990s collectors and investors almost brought down the entire market and industry. In fact, Marvel almost went, had to declare bankruptcy, uh, once, uh, the whole collecting buzz started taking off and, and Marvel in particular started putting out, um, like multiple collectors, different collectors covers of a single issue with like foil covers and reflective covers and, uh, a gazillion different covers that ended up 
just costing them a ton of money. Um, and this was, you know, basically for the benefit of people who weren't actually comic readers. They were just trying to make an investment by by buying these things. Well, Troy, and, I got two things for that. The first yeah. one, we've talked about this before, the idea of time travel. If you're yes. a time traveler, maybe go back, find these original ones just as they're coming out of the press and just grab like 50 of these things and put them in some kind of a container. Put them in some way that 100 years later, yeah. they'd be in mint condition and you'd be able to get some money for it. Um, and hide them and hide them as well. Because yes. part of the problem was, like the, the reason there is such a scarcity is that heading into World War II, there were things like paper drives. And so these comics would just be thrown into the paper drive. And so, so few of those comics from, you know, 38, 39, and then heading into the war um, exist. Like they just they just got thrown into paper drives. Yeah, and there's no way around that because even if the publishers had a sense, which they wouldn't have, that maybe these are worth – maybe we're selling it down the road and you have maybe the first hundred of of whatever for each issue, you keep X amount in perfect condition stored away. But then they're also trying to make a profit. They're trying to right. actually sell copies as opposed to knowing that 50 or 100 years from when they were published – Maybe that gives DC or Marvel some big future equity. Yeah. And you're right. They they had no way of knowing because basically Siegel and Schuster were creating a genre. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a superhero genre prior to Superman. There was there were Westerns, there were action comics, and there was science fiction. But there wasn't this superhero thing that was kind of like a combination of action and, and sci-fi. Um, and that's one of the reasons that um, Siegel and Schuster did so poorly. The contract that they signed was sort of, you know, a standard contract for the era. Nobody thought that pushing 100 years later, we would know who Superman is, you know, and, and that there would be like, can you imagine actually even just the millions that have been made from Superman movies, uh, the the number of Superman comics that have sold. I mean, the, clearly Superman is an industry and has been yep. for pushing a hundred years. Yep. Um, so they had no idea, you know, what they were sort of signing away. Okay. So should we jump into a little bit more comic discussion, Dave? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So you were saying that, Man of Steel, the John Byrne comics were one that you were really into. How about in the 70s? Did you have some favorite titles as a kid? Well, not for a specific. I mean, I did have, I think, either one or two different Superman uh, comics. I might have had a Batman. I definitely kept uh, The Amazing Spider-Man was one that I had. Um. I had um, Conan the Barbarian and Conan Saga. And you had um, some uh, some of the uh, Tomb of Dracula, I think you said. Yeah, I had Tomb of Dracula. I also had Sergeant Rock. That's where I learned some German, like, like, um, uh, not Schnell. Schnell, 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 yeah. yeah, and yeah. Blitzkrieg and uh, Mein Gott in Himmel, which I learned was <laughs> I could actually figure that my God in heaven. I oh, there we go. Figure that mine gotten Himmel. Um, 
So yeah, I was I had a lot of comics. Um not compared to, you know, some people that were super comic aficionados that had, you know, thousands of comics, but I had a fair number of uh, comics back in the day and certainly at least one of them would have been a, a Superman comic. Well, I had no idea that bagging and boarding was a thing. And in fact, I I had a uh I will put in air quotes a girlfriend uh, around grade six and grade seven whose whose brother was a collector and he's the first guy I knew who was a collector like he had long long boxes for his comics and he had them bagged and boarded um, which I just didn't know that was a thing I didn't know you like I didn't know you like I couldn't have told you in grade six or grade seven where you buy bags and boards for comics Um but uh, this guy was. But anyway, for, for me, um, my early favorite Superman comics were the giant limited collector's editions that were published by DC in the 70s. And so these things were, uh, they measured 13 and a half inches by 10 inches. And when you were a kid, that was about a third of your height. Um, my favorite issues were when Superman was pitted against friends or other Justice League members. Uh, I still have my copies of Superman versus the Flash, Superman versus Wonder Woman, Superman versus Shazam. But the two that really stood out uh, were Superman versus Spider-Man, which was really cool because it was a DC Marvel uh, teaming up. And that had only been done once before. They The two companies jointly put out a Wizard of Oz adaptation um, in giant size. Uh, but this was the first time they'd ever combined to to bring two of their heroes. And basically Sp- Superman and Spider-Man were the two biggest characters or superhero characters at the time. Yeah. A little, a little later on, they would do um, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And I don't know why I let go of that one because it's, it's worth a ton now. Um, and it's got a great, great cover. Uh, I will try to post this. I think I have before on our Facebook page, but Superman versus Muhammad Ali uh, has them in the ring. And then behind them, you, the entire audience is famous people that they've illustrated. So like uh, Jimmy Carter and his wife is right in the top right-hand corner, a Batman that you see the back of his cowl. He's there. The Beatles are there, even though this is like the mid seventies, they're there with their, with Yoko is there and, and Linda McCartney's there. I think, uh, uh, who played Barney Miller, uh, David, I don't know if you oh, was that Hal Linden. Hal Linden. Yeah. Hal Linden is there. Um, anyway, it's just like basically a hundred characters <laughs> that you would recognize. So that was definitely, um, those were two of my favorites. Um, and then one that like really isn't worth a lot, but I loved as a kid was the Superman family. And that ran from 74 to 1982. And it boasted its 100 pages of contents on the front cover. Uh, each issue featured stories spotlighting Lois, Jimmy, Crypto, and other sort of peripheral Superman characters. I guess Supergirl would have been there as well. Um, much of the contents were reprints, but little did I care. Similarly, there was also a Batman family comic, and I also dug that. Um, and probably along those lines too, World's Finest. World's Finest was a Superman Batman combo book that, uh, first started in 1941. Um, there were 323 issues of those printed. It wrapped up in 1986. And some of the, 
stories that really cracked me up, Dave, in the sort of 70s era of World's Finest was it was called the Super Sons. And so they were imaginary stories where both Superman and uh, Batman, I guess, I won't say whether they got married. That's neither here nor there. But they ended up with offspring who were like teenage versions of Superman and Batman. And it was always like these hilarious, like whose son is better stories and Superman and Batman would sort of bicker over, you know, who was better. Do you mind if I get into some of the the ones that like are sort of must reads for folks? Well, for sure. Absolutely. Crisis on Infinite Earths collected graphic novel, which uh, the original issues came out in 85 and 86. Well, not exclusively a Superman title, Crisis on Infinite Earths was the first cross-company comics event at DC. The company had created a problem for itself. Nearly 50 years of publishing characters, as well as purchasing other characters from companies like Fawcett and Charlton, and rebooting their own characters like The Flash, Green Lantern, and Green Arrow, meant there was too much clutter and confusion for readers, especially new readers. It was time to clean house. Whole planets would be destroyed. In terms of Superman, the original Golden Age Superman, who now had gray hair at his temples, a la Reed Richards, he was getting the axe, as was Supergirl. One of the most iconic covers of the Bronze Age of comics is issue number seven of Crisis, and it depicts Superman holding the dead and bloodied body of Supergirl in his arms. It was a huge success. Uh, The next one I want to mention is Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow by Alan Moore. It was published both in Superman and Action at the time. Um, Now, prior to the relaunch of Superman, Alan Moore proposed a two-part story that would run in Action and Superman comics. The story was drawn by Kurt Swan, who'd been doing Superman forever. Sorry, it's not called Superman forever, but he'd been drawing (laughs) the character for a long time. Uh, And again, it was titled, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow? The story is told as a flashback by Lois Lane and features an inconceivable number of characters from Superman's past. David, you will believe a man can cry over a Superman comic. And there's one panel in in a full page image uh, with Superman and crypto. And I, I have chills just thinking about it. You you'll ball if you ever read this thing. Wikipedia says, Quote, critics and audiences frequently choose it as one of the most memorable comics ever published. That was followed up also in 1986 by The Man of Steel, which you've referenced. In the wake of Crisis on Infinite Earths, it was felt it was time to reboot and freshen up Superman for the modern age. Artist and writer John Byrne was brought in from Marvel for the job. The first thing was to make it clear that this new Superman would not be invincible. He was very, very strong, but he could not, say, move a planet or fly around the Earth and turn back time. Byrne's six-part series, The Man of Steel, launched the Superman who existed for another 10 years until his, his new vulnerability basically led to his death. The triple shot of Man of Steel, Frank Miller's Dark Knight, and Alan Moore's Watchmen made 1986 a very good year for DC Comics. So we jump into the 90s, 
and we get The Death of Superman, which was originally published over the course of seven comic book issues. The Death of Superman dealt with Superman's epic fight with the powerful and violent alien Doomsday, which, as the title spoils, leads to an untimely end for the Man of Steel. The final issue, featuring Superman's death, sold over 6 million copies. The collected edition of The Death of Superman was released in time for Christmas 1992, and it became the best-selling trade paperback comic of all time. Of course, no one stays dead for long in the comics. The Death of Superman concluded in October 1993 with The Adventures of Superman number 505, in which Superman returns to Metropolis all, you know, alive and stuff. And after teasing it for decades, on October 6, 1996, Superman and Lois finally tied the knot. They were married both in the comic book entitled The Wedding Album, as well as on the television show Lois and Clark. The Wedding Album was written by the five then-current writers of the Superman titles and featured artwork by 30 artists who had previously worked on the Superman comics. Now, I mentioned Alex Ross earlier. Um, he is the one who conceived Kingdom Come, which was published in 1996. And he worked with Mark Wade. He co-wrote it with Mark Wade. Uh, originally published as an Elseworlds four-part miniseries. Now, an, an Elseworlds title means it's not within continuity of the, of the current comic run. Um, so it was published as an Elseworlds four-part miniseries. Kingdom Come tells the story of an aged or aged Justice League that must return to action to tame the modern group of metahumans whose actions are as questionable as the villains they face. The story begins with an aging, bearded Clark Kent living as a farmer and having to come out of retirement, basically. The story is epic. While Ross's painted artwork is some of the best the genre has ever seen. A couple of years later, 1999, we get a very different feel. Rather than this ultra-realism, uh, we have a very different uh, look from artist Tim Sale in A Superman for All Seasons. It was written by Jeff Loeb. Now, the back cover copy reads, Before the legend, before the icon, before the man of tomorrow, there was Clark Kent a young man coming to terms with the awesome power that fate had granted him. Experience the majestic tale of his transformation from country boy to the world's greatest hero. It is a beautiful book. It looks pastoral and Loeb has this ability to write subtly and poignantly. Three years after the publication of Superman for All Seasons, Jeff Loeb was brought on board at Smallville, as supervising producer of the show, because clearly he got it. Now, a very different take on the origins of Superman we get in Red Sun from 2003. It's a graphic novel written by Mark Millar that reimagines a world in which Kal-El does not crash land in Kansas and is not adopted by the Kents, but rather crashes in Russia and fights for the Soviet way rather than the American way. A great read and a great um, reimagining. All right, we're winding down, sir. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hit you with uh, All-Star Superman, which uh, originally in individual form came out between 2005 and 2008. 
This 12-part miniseries brought together writer Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly to tell a touching story centered around a dying Superman. The illustrations by Quietly perfectly reflect Morrison's thoughtful and gentle treatment of the world's greatest superhero. Then, in 2011, DC Comics underwent a company-wide relaunch of its ongoing titles known as The New 52. And with the relaunch, titles were renumbered starting with issue number one. As well, they streamlined and retold the origin of its heroes. For Superman, part of that overhaul included taking away Superman's red shorts or briefs or trunks or what have you. But a few years later, it was revealed that Superman of the New 52 wasn't actually the real Superman at all. And when the actual Superman was restored to continuity, of course he had the red trunks. Hopefully, the upcoming Superman movie will also give him his Speedos back. Because if you're as old as we are, and you've seen soups in those shorts all your life, he just looks naked without them. In the spring of 2018, during the 80th year of Superman in DC Comics, Action published issue number 1000. And as of this recording, Action Comics is currently at issue number 1057. And that's our comics report, Dave. Wow. It's like he's the king of comics, just about. Yeah, I realized I need to sell off some comics. (laughs) There is... yeah. <laughs> but one thing is, I I think you would have to have to have been living under a rock or just not been aware of a lot of things, because the whole thing with the death of Superman was such a big deal at the time and got a lot of coverage. Uh, everyone knew pretty much that this was happening, hence the millions of copies that sold of the issues. As the Man of Steel met his match, an editor at DC Comics says Superman will die November 18th. Mike Carlin says the November comic book will show the demise of the costumed crime fighter during a fight to save Metropolis. The only question is, will Superman stay dead? Carlin is noncommittal, noting, quote, we really don't know what death means to Kryptonian. It was yeah. a big deal. Oh, yeah. And they were saying, I, I, I don't know if it was in the Up, Up and Away or, or whatever it's called documentary, but uh, somewhere I had heard recently that it just happened to be a really slow news week as well. So they really got a lot of traction, a lot of news coverage uh, for the story. And, and well, no, I guess this was still during the, the days of the 24 hour or maybe it back when there was a 24 hour news cycle, I guess it moves faster than that now, but it stuck around for a while and it, uh, it really was a thing. And occasionally I still see those final issues that came in a, a black bag with the Superman crest on it. So Dave, are you ready to, to go into TV, both live action and animation? Let's do it. Let's do that. I think it's going to be super. All right, Dave, let's start where <laughs> let's start where we where where you have to start. You have to start with the Adventures of Superman. Um that ran from 1952 to 1958. Although the Adventures of Superman enjoyed a 6-year run, it became a mainstay of syndication throughout the 1960s and 1970s. 
The series produced 104 episodes, with the first two seasons being shot in black and white, and the remaining four seasons filmed in color. George Reeves played Superman and Clark Kent. In season one, Phyllis Coates portrayed Lois Lane, while Noel, is it Noel or Noel? I think it's Noel. I thought so too. Noel Neal, who had played Lois in the two previous film series, reprised her role through seasons two to six. George Reeves' portrayal of Superman was iconic. Without the aid of any CGI, Reeves was a thoroughly convincing superhero with his bounding out of windows, crashing through walls and the obligatory bending of metal bars and gun barrels. Superman would then return to the Daily Planet and covertly change back into Clark to join Lois, Jimmy Olsen and Perry White, where Clark's three colleagues would sing the praises of Superman and Clark would then break the fourth wall and give the viewers a knowing wink and a smile. By the way, where were you when this story was breaking? To me, Chief? Why, um, I was practicing the levitation trick. Well, in that case, maybe you should have come along. Superman might have taught it to you. Why, Lois, what a wonderful idea. As a matter of fact, I think he did. And of course, there was the flying. Superman seen in profile zipping by skyscrapers while his flight caused a howling whistle. And if you were a kid and you were pretending you were flying, you would make that sound like the. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Decades of children thrilled to the sight of George Reeves as Superman flying over Metropolis and through the sky. The popularity of the show was such that ABC intended to air at least two more seasons of The Adventures of Superman. Tragically, George Reeves died of a gunshot wound on June 16th, 1959. And you really should check out the 2006 film Hollywoodland that examines the mystery surrounding the final days of George Reeves. Hollywoodland was directed by Alan Coulter and stars Ben Affleck as George Reeves. And so it's interesting that Affleck then actually played both Batman and Superman. And I don't know if anybody else has done that. Something to to ponder, but I don't think anybody has. Uh, For years after... Reeves passing, viewers were left only with reruns of The Adventures of Superman and animated versions of The Man of Steel to fill the void. So we jump like, is that 30 years, 40 years into uh, 1993 when Lois and Clark hits the air for a four season run and they gave us 88 episodes. The series starred Terry Hatcher as Lois Lane and Dean Kane as Clark Superman. Clark slash Superman. The amiable, lighthearted series examined the ins and outs of the super relationship as much as it did the crime-fighting adventures of the Man of Steel. It, it was loads of fun. And as we've already mentioned, on October 6th, 1996, viewers were cordially invited to join Lois and Clark as they finally tied the knot in prime time. Friends, we're gathered here today to... Join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Marriage, um, well, it's a lot like a newspaper. It takes a lot of hard work to make it a success. But if anybody can do it, you too can. Jimmy, the ring. Now, repeat after me. I, Clark, take thee, Lois, to love, honor, and cherish for as long as I live. I, Clark... 
take thee, Lois, to love, honor, and cherish for as long as I live. Repeat after me. I, Lois, take thee, Clark, to love, honor, and cherish for as long as I live. I, Lois, take thee, Clark, to love, honor, and cherish for as long as I live. the power vested in me by this state and the first church of blue suede deliverance I pronounce you husband and wife you may kiss the bride the series featured a long list of famous guest stars including Bruce Campbell Peter Doyle, Justine Bateman Shelley Long, Adam West Denise Crosby, Tony Curtis Jonathan Frakes Dean Stockwell, Roger Daltrey, James Earl Jones, and Raquel Welch, to name a few. Through its first three seasons, Lois and Clark averaged 18 million viewers per episode. But in its fourth season, when the network moved its time slot three times, it dropped to 9 million viewers per episode. The show would not make it to a fifth season. The next time our hero would appear on a regular basis in prime time was on Smallville. Now, Smallville really did have a remarkable run of 10 seasons on the WB and CW. The pilot aired just over a month after 9-11 and ran until May 13th, 2011. The show acted as a coming-of-age story of a young Clark Kent and followed him through his first year of high school up until his early years at the Daily Planet. The show's motto, I'm sounding like a little like Shatner there. I was really breaking things up. The mm. show's motto was no flights, no tights. Each week, Clark would face a freak of the week while learning more about his burgeoning super abilities. The show's fantastic cast starred Tom Welling as Clark, Kristen Crook as Lana Lang, Michael Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor, John Glover, the amazing John Glover as Lionel Luthor, Erica Durant's Calgary's own uh, as Lois Lane, Annette O'Toole as Martha Kent, and John Schneider as Jonathan Kent. Many stellar <laughs> actors had recurring roles or made guest appearances, including Terrence Stamp, Carrie Fisher, Amy Adams, Jane Seymour, Lizzie Kaplan, and of course, Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve. And it was amazing seeing both of them on the show when they made their appearances. Yep. Recently, we've had Super Superman and Lois. It's currently airing on the CW and it's entering its fourth season. It stars Tyler Hecklin as Superman and Elizabeth Tulloch as Lois. There was also a, a, a short-lived Superboy series in the 80s, which we don't really need to get into, and a much longer-lived Supergirl series starring Melissa Benoist. Supergirl was part of the Arrowverse and enjoyed a six-year run from 2015 to 2021 on CBS and the CW. Uh, there was also a short-lived series, Krypton. It was to Superman as the Gotham series was to Batman, but not as good. 
And that is our live action TV report. Dave, do you have any sort of favorites of those? Well, I did watch again the um, Smallville, the first the the uh, series opener. Also, um, Erica Durant's um, uh, as Lois Lane. She the first time they actually brought that character in was in season four, episode one. And also, I did watch again the last uh, two episodes of season ten, which has to do with the wedding of um, of. Um, Clark Kent and uh, Lois oh, Lane. So, yeah. And, and you know, yeah. I, I was a big fan of Smallville. It's one of the few series that I have like all, all of the DVD box sets of, <clears throat> like especially a show that runs that long. Um, I thought they did a really good job of transitioning the love interest from Lana Lang in the high school years, which, you know, works with continuity or at least traditional continuity and then moving over to Lois Lane as the love interest. Um, and I know when Erica Durant first appeared in that episode, initially I was, I was not happy. It was like, no, it's like, it's, it's Lana. Like they have this thing going, but of course I'm, I also realized that, you know, Lois becomes the love of his life. Um, so I knew that had to happen, but they sold me on Lana Lang for, for, I guess, three years. And I really bought into it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought kudos to Smallville. They did a lot of things, right. They, they got into it being a little bit too much, like something like, uh, Beverly Hills, 90210 and, uh, uh, Dawson's Creek. It got a little bit too, uh, kissy face for both me and my kids who were like pretty young at the time, they didn't care about the hormonal stuff, but um, they, they loved uh, just the basic Superman storytelling. Yeah, a, yeah, a very good series. But but their take on Lex Luthor was sort oh. of out of this world. It was quite yes. amazing. I loved Michael Rosenbaum as, mm. as as Luther. And the great thing is with Smallville, if you have the DVDs, um, the cast regularly does um, the sort of bonus commentaries. And Michael Rosenbaum is hilarious, which you would not know from reading his Lex Luthor. But having him out of character doing the bonus commentaries, it's, it's, it's a gem. It's really good. Uh, and he also played a great flash in the uh, Justice League um, animated stuff. Uh, he played a very funny flash. Um, yeah, speaking of animated stuff, shall we transition over to that? Let's do it. As we mentioned in our overview near the top of this episode, the Fleischer brothers, Max and Dave, were commissioned by Paramount Pictures to create an animated version of Superman. They were reluctant at first to do so, so they inflated their asking price, thinking Paramount would turn them down. As we know, Paramount didn't. They went along with the quote for the job. And initially, the Fleischers created nine of their Superman cartoons, with the first installment being nominated for an Oscar in the Best Short Subject in, cart in the cartoon category of 1941. And after the initial nine shorts were created, the Fleischers had an internal falling out, and the company was rebranded as Famous Studios, and an additional eight shorts were produced. The Fleischer Superman shorts are still incredibly entertaining to watch, noticeable not just for their quality, but because they gave the character the ability to fly, not just leap. And for those who are interested, these are all now public domain, and I, I assume they're all on YouTube. I think I've watched a few there, but um, 
they can be found super easily. And the radio shows also became public domain. They're on, you you put it in your podcast search engine and you will find the Superman radio shows. Uh, Both Batman, the animated series and Superman, the animated series from the nineties were hugely influenced by the look and feel of the Fleischer Superman shorts of the 1940s. From 1966 to 1969, The New Adventures of Superman aired on CBS. The series incorporated the, by then, mandatory Superman creed at the beginning of every show. In the office of the Daily Planet, Superman, disguised as mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent, recognizes the alarm signal which can be detected only by his super-keen hearing. That's Jimmy. In danger. This is a job for Superman. The series was again voiced by the veteran Superman radio stars Bud Collier as Superman, Joan Alexander as Lois Lane, and Jackson Beck as the narrator. This filmation series helped to fill the void left by the death of George Reeves. It also became the first superhero cartoon produced for television. The company would go on to produce cartoons of Aquaman, Shazam, Teen Titans, Batman, Flash, and the Justice League, as well as the award-winning Star Trek, the animated series. The New Adventures of Superman aired at 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Say, what's Gleek up to now? I think he's trying to clone a banana. Then we get on to Super Friends. It aired between 73 and 1985, like much longer than I would have suspected as a Mm. a kid. Like, I mean, I I clearly was only watching it for a few years in the early 70s. Um, Note, Super Friends, not Bat Friends, not Wonder Friends, but Super Friends. Okay, so... I don't want to rankle any feathers, but I do want to, you know, look a little critically at Super Friends. I I now wonder when I look back on shows that we watched as kids, Dave, like Super Friends, if we could get a class action suit going arguing the producers were guilty of child abuse. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved it at the time. I ate it up. But some of the things that were fobbed off on us in the 1970s, it feels like there was a degree of contempt for children by the content producers, even like the the, the crazy foam, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, kids will they'll love that. Just, yeah, toxic. I don't know. Just they'll love it. Anyway, I mean, this was still the era of, of children should be seen and not heard, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so a large part of the problem in retrospect is how bad the animation actually is. And and I get this as an animation for TV, so that means it's assembly line work. But come on, not only was Disney writing Oscars or winning Oscars uh, for animation 40 years before Super Friends came around, but so were the Fleischer Superman cartoons. You know, we have some really awful animation happening on Super Friends. Costumes that are colored the wrong color, characters with too many or too few arms or other limbs animation that actually isn't animated. It's just a still image. Um, And to make matters worse, it's pretty boring, especially the first season before they introduce the Legion of doom. Um, The justice league stands around talking and that's about it. You know Uh, the creators are so afraid of depicting violence and upsetting parents and religious groups that nothing happens. 
superheroes are reduced to characters in a Beckett play. But, <laughs> but you know, yeah, I, I loved it when I was eight. The Justice League together in a cartoon, that, that was a good thing. And I didn't care if they played Tiddlywinks or Ganip Ganop. Do you remember Ganip Ganop, Dave? Parker Brothers' new Ganip Ganop is very easy to play. You simply try to Ganip your three balls through the hoops into the other side. And the other guy tries to Ganop his three balls into your side. But while you're Ganipping, he's Ganopping. You're trying to out-Ganip him while he's trying to out-Ganop you. So Ganip down to your store and grab the new game from Parker Brothers before they're all Ganoped. Um, not really. Okay, fine. Um, and because <laughs> there will always be eight-year-olds, the show lasted for 12 seasons. 12 incredibly painful seasons. So, Troy, wouldn't that be nice? Something like Waiting for Superman. <laughs> oh, that'd be that awesome. That would be nice. Yeah, or yeah. Just, just randomly, you do uh, Waiting for Godot, but like the characters are like the Flash and Superman, and you don't, you don't address that at all. It's just, mm. That's how they're dressed. Yep. <laughs> Fortunately, things change with time, and we get Superman the Animated Series. Uh, it aired in first-run broadcast from 1996 to 2000 on the Kids WB. The series consisted of 54 25-minute episodes. The show was created by the same creative team that brought, Bat- brought us all Batman the Animated Series. Um, everything about the series was top-notch. It's like the evil opposite or the good opposite, I guess, the doppelganger of, of Super Friends. Um, everything was top-notch from, from the look of the show, the scripts, the music, uh, and the voice acting, which featured Tim Daly as Superman, uh, Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor. Wow. And, yeah, yeah. And Michael Ironside as Darkseid. Wow. Um, just that's like just those last two, like they're so good. I like, mm. and I still will. And I hear Lex Luthor's voice. I hear the animated voice. And I didn't know until last week that that was um, Clancy Brown doing that. So it makes sense now. Superman, the animated series or Superman Tass also did an excellent job of incorporating seldom used members of Superman's rogue gallery, such as Metallo, Parasite and Livewire. The series was so well-received that DC introduced a Superman Adventures comic book that was based on it. It was published from 1996 to 2002. And after four seasons of Superman the Animated Series, Superman and Batman's series uh, came together as Justice League with the additions of Wonder Woman, Flash, Hawkgirl, and Green Lantern. After two seasons as Justice League, it was rebranded as Justice League Unlimited, uh, and that, JLU, then produced 39 episodes over three seasons. David, in my mind, that run of shows from 1996 to 2006, created by Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and co, um, Superman, the animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, that's the strongest, most consistent output of Superman stories in any medium. Unfortunately, it came to an end when the WB became the CW and the kids WB was scrapped, which was a really sad day. Uh, Currently, we have my adventures with Superman running on Adult Swim. Um, I have actually seen some of this. (laughs) Today, I watched a couple of episodes. Uh, According to Wiki, it says the story follows Clark Kent as he builds his secret identity as Superman and explores his mysterious origins. Um, the series premiered on Adult Swim on July 7th of this year. 
with each episode releasing on Mac shortly after. Uh, it's going into a second season. Um, the show has a real anime look, although it's produced by um, Warner Brothers Animation, which, I mean, they've been doing this as long as Disney has, right? They Warner Brothers Animation basically was the home of Looney Tunes. Mm. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, according to my adult daughter, Kate, she said I should check it out, and I did, and I liked it. And that is animation, Dave. We did it. We did it, sir. We got through it somehow. Somehow. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack, you know, because he's been with us all our lives. And we've only been around, you know, remembering stuff from the mid to late 60s into the 70s. But it had a, a very strong, you know, in the 30s and 40s. And even in the 50s, he had a very strong following in various mediums. Well, I know this has been a long show, David, but I have uh, my sort of obligatory Beatleism. I have two quickies for you. Would you like it now? Absolutely. All righty. Um, so, Beatles tie-ins to Superman. Well, um, I have in front of me a book called The Penguin John Lennon. And what it does is it was published in 1966, and it um, is a combined version of Lennon's two books, uh, a, sp- a span Spaniard in the works and in his own right. Uh, and it's collected as the penguin John Lennon and uh, on the cover of it. I'm trying to find my camera to show you. It has John Lennon dressed sort of in a Superman costume, but rather than having uh, an S in the uh, crest, it has JL and he's yeah wearing a, the, the rest of it is the Superman suit. So that's part of it. And the other one that I'll throw out there um, is that I know we're not talking movies today. We'll do that next week. But Superman 2 director Richard Lester um, also was a close friend of the Beatles. And he directed their first two films, A Hard Day's Night and Help. And there we go. That's like a ton of super info and you you're a super co-host my friend well thanks a lot that was we certainly covered a lot of ground we still have a little um, more though yeah yeah well it's in watching those smallville episodes um it was kind of nice how they sort of have a bit of fun with the character because at one point a character asks uh, Clark, you know, can you keep a secret? And he says, I am the Fort Knox of secrets, which was always one of my favorite little moments. And and one of the last episodes, this is sort of like with the writing, with what they were able to do, it was getting very emotional because they were saying things like, what if heroes aren't destined to love? Mm. And that kind of thing about and, and Clark questioning himself. He says, in my whole life, I've been trying to fit into two different worlds. And the truth is, I don't belong in either of them i need to make my own path and if that means letting go of both worlds it means letting go of lois so he's always someone who is at conflict with himself Mm, he's got that secret identity but he's living it's sort of like that whole thing from the matrix you're living two lives yeah kind of thing it's very hard to do that yeah and it's funny you know i i was listening um to the audiobook of grant morrison's book um Super Gods, it's called, and he he deals with Superman a lot in that book. But he was saying it's in the 50s, after sort of the crackdown came 
with the comics code and the whole backlash from the Frederick Wortham book, uh, Seduction of the Innocent, um, the Superman character actually got into this really interesting uh, psychological place. And it sort of, it examines exactly what you just talked about, you know, like Superman's insecurities, his internal issues and the whole idea of, you know, a being an outsider and never properly being able to, uh, integrate and maybe serve the parts of his life that, you know, other people are able to do. Uh, that's another book though, that I, I highly recommend for those who are interested in the whole super world. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much what we've got for our first of two, uh, part so that's the end of Superman part one, and um, I guess it's time to sign off. All righty, let's have a good one. Thanks to all of you for listening. Um, I know we've been away, but I'm going to remind you uh, you can catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Um, try Spotify, uh, you can always check us out where it all began on the website at two numeric two of dot. C-A. Um, and Facebook, we're always there. And we've had some really good conversations on Facebook with um, listeners. Uh, and so please check in, uh, you know, and contribute too. like, as Walt Whitman says, you may contribute a verse, you may contribute uh, whatever you like uh, to old farts, as long as you're nice. Come on, like, you know, you want to be nice. Um so yeah, that's two old farts talk sci-fi on Facebook. Please tell a friend wherever you go. If you get the opportunity, please like and subscribe. If you get the opportunity, please leave a review if you know you like what you hear. Um, yeah. I am David Clink. And I am Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. <laughs> Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing adventures of Superman. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Superman magazine.